It's lopsided, it's not centred, it's just not right. It needs to be fixed. For some of you, you probably it doesn't really bother you. For others of you, it really bothers you and it has to be taken down or if the picture's not straight, it needs to be straight. Well, today we're going to have a little bit of a look at how God makes things right with his people through the process of justification. Now, we're doing this in and through Romans. At, his, at the heart of Romans, it is a letter about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans touches on many big, big doctrines or teachings and we first need to understand as we look in here at justification what we mean by justification. Now justification means our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. Our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death death and resurrection for us. John Piper unpacks this a little bit further in saying that justification is an act of God by which he declares us to be right, to be just or to be perfect by faith alone. We have been united with Jesus Christ who is just, who is right and who is perfect. So this morning we're going to do this by looking at the four benefits or four of the benefits of justification, that we are positionally made positionally right with God, we are given access to God, we can deal with the present and we can boast confidently in our future. Now there is a note sheet and I know it's A4, it doesn't mean that it's going for twice as long as the, the sheet note sheet's normally half that size, it just means we just photocopied it on A4 paper. So firstly, when we are justified, we are made positionally right with God. We have peace with God. Now this is an objective peace, not a subjective peace. We're all part of one in one way or another. We are are part of a group. This group comes in different shapes and different sizes. I'm talking about families. Some of you sitting here this morning are from single child families. Some of you are one of 12 or even more. Now regardless of the size of your family or the situation behind your family, the fact remains, to quote John Farnham, we're all someone's daughter, we're all someone's son. Being part of a family has its ups and it has its downs. There are times where things seem to be going fabulously, fantastic, but there are other times where things just don't seem to be going so well. I come from a big family, I'm one of seven kids and while I can't remember saying it myself, I can sure remember thinking it. In the heat of a moment when something didn't go the way I wanted or I wasn't allowed to do something or I was just so angry for some reason, those thoughts of, oh I wish I wasn't part of this family, oh I wish you weren't my dad, I wish you weren't my mum, Maybe it was a reversed experience for you. Maybe it was rejection or an action from one of your parents. As sad and as hard as those situations may be, it doesn't change the fact and it didn't change the reality that you were still positionally their son or their daughter and they were positionally your mum or your dad. It's a bit like this when we're justified. 
we're made positionally right with God. We have peace with God. Now this is an objective peace, not a subjective one. It's a declared state of being. It's important to note that peace with God is different to the peace of God. The peace of God is subjective in the sense that it's in the moment. In a moment of hardship, in a moment of struggle, we can call out on God and we can ask for the peace of God, that peace which comforts us. We learn a lot about this in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. In hard and difficult situations, the peace of God comforts us. It assists us to deal with those situations in that moment. This type of peace is not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. This is a good peace. It's a comforting peace, but it's subjective. Many of us often pray for peace and comfort for ourselves or for our friends or our families when they're going through hardship in lives, in their life. For believers and for non-believers, we pray for a peace and a comfort. But this peace and comfort is not the same as being at peace with God. Having peace with God is different because peace with God is objective. It doesn't matter in the moment about how we feel. Peace with God is a state of being. It is a declared positional peace. So how do we achieve this peace? Well, as sinners, we were at war with God, not at peace with him, hostile to him. As sinners, we want to be king of ourselves. We want to be in charge We don't want to follow God. Now God can't look at sin. His wrath, his anger is not the same as ours. He's not vengeful or vindictive like we are. It's not about payback with God. God's wrath is legal. It is just. We've been learning more about this in our series in Revelation. We've seen that God is a just God and a loving God. We have seen that God sends warning after warning and then because he is a just God, his wrath is poured out. There is a legal sentence on us and it cannot be discarded. It cannot just be wished away. It cannot be worked off. There's a debt and that debt must be paid. So God initiated the most amazing peace action ever. Look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrated his own love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As unrighteous sinners deserving of God's wrath, Christ, righteous and perfect, took the debt, paid the price and died. He beat sin and death and rose again. His blood sacrifice was sufficient. Jesus took the punishment and the most amazing peace action occurred. Reconciled peace with God. Justified. Saved from God's wrath through Christ Jesus. Verse 9 since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God initiated that peace action, the greatest act of reconciliation. It's not of us. We didn't do it. We can't simply turn back to God as though we can do all that is necessary to be at peace with God. This is nothing we do or that we achieve, but something we receive through faith, through faith alone. We can't work ourselves into it. We can't find our own path to peace with God. He declares us to be perfect because of our union with Christ. It's not that we're not guilty. We are guilty. We are guilty and we deserve the sentence. God will not let sin go unpunished. What we need to do is respond in faith to his call. True peace with God is objective. It doesn't matter how we feel. It relies not on what we do, it relies on what Christ did. Now if you're here this morning and you're not at peace with God, you can be. If you've not confessed to him your sins and asked for his forgiveness, you can. Listen to his call. Respond in faith and you will be at peace with God, declared righteous, united with Christ. I'd love to talk with you more about this after the service if you want to. If you're a believer here this morning and you have been justified, be reminded this morning that peace with God is not about how you feel in any given moment. If God has called you and you have responded in faith, then you can be assured that you are at peace with God. You might struggle to feel at peace, but the struggles of life, they happen to us all. And what's amazing is we can talk with God about that. Which brings us to our second point. Not only are we made positionally right with God, we're given access to God to communicate to him directly. Verse 2, through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. The word Paul is using here for access means to bring near or to be introduced to. What Paul is talking about is not just the removal of hostilities between us and God, amazing as that is, peace with God, declared righteousness, Paul unpacks for us more the reality and benefit of our justification that we can have a personal relationship with God. We have been granted access to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Now I've been to a few amazing concerts in my time. The most amazing concert I've ever been to and probably will ever experience was going to see Michael Jackson live. Now, no matter what you think about the man or his music, 
The spectacle of his concert was just phenomenal. The lights, the special effects, the explosions. I mean, there was a space rocket on stage and a Russian tank. It was seriously mind-blowing, not to mention all of the screaming fans surrounding you. But amazing as it was, I had very limited access. I wasn't backstage. I was one of tens of thousands of people in a large sports stadium staring at a tiny dot in the distance. I had access to the stadium. I'd paid the price for the ticket, but I had no access to the stage. I had no access to him. Now imagine for a moment if my brother was Michael's promoter. Imagine if he'd organised a special VIP pass for me and I had access to all areas. I could just stroll past the security and flash my pass. I could sit down and chat with the man himself. Now that would make that experience phenomenal. What access! You see, Paul, here in these letters to the church in Rome, is not talking about having access to the king of pop, but he's talking about having access to God through Christ the King. We are ushered into the royal throne room. Keller puts it this way, access to grace means that we have been given a favourable favorable position from which we can develop a personal relationship with, the, with God the Father. Not only are we allowed access into the throne room, we can stand there and develop a relationship with God. God is interested in a personal relationship with me. God is interested in a personal relationship with you. How gracious is our God? Friends, so often we just bow our heads in prayer and just take for granted the access that we have to God. This is undeserved access. We're not worthy. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been introduced to God. Why doesn't this excite us and amaze us as it should? God is a relational God. God is in relationship with himself in the Trinity. And we have access to him and yet so often other things crowd him out. They crowd out our time, they crowd out our hearts. If you're a believer here this morning... You have been given access to develop a personal relationship with God and he wants to develop it with you. Are you using that access? So far we've seen two of the four benefits of justification that we're looking at. We've seen that we're made positionally right with God, that we are declared just and righteous, having peace with God. We've seen that we are given access to God, graciously accepted into a relationship with God. And thirdly, we can deal with the present. Life's busy. Sometimes it's just exhausting. Things might not go the way we plan. Our bodies might fail us. Our friends might fail us. Suffering and hardship are a reality of life here on earth. But friends, this shouldn't surprise us. We live in a fallen, sinful world. And from our studies in Revelation, we can see that sufferings will only increase, particularly for believers. 
So what benefit of justification applies here, Jeff? What benefit applies here and now? Well, let's look back at our passage. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now many of you probably know that I go semi-regularly to the gym. Some of you may think that I'm completely mad to be waking up at 5 to 5.30 in the morning to lift stuff, to jump, to run and to sweat myself into a state of suffering. Sore muscles, sometimes struggling to sit or bend the next day. But if I... Absolutely stupid, that's right. But if I persevere, if I push through and I keep going week after week, then my strength is actually built and my hope of a healthier body is fulfilled. After a workout, your body actually repairs or replaces the damaged muscle fibres through a cellular process where it fuses those fibres together to form new muscles. It's a process of pain and suffering to development. I've also got a helper when I go to the gym, someone to guide me and counsel me and help me when I'm struggling to build that healthier life. Now we could have a whole sermon from now on about suffering, but don't worry, we're not going to do that right now. We're just going to touch on a few points. Paul's reminding us that suffering is part of our reality, but that... We can glory in our sufferings when we put them into perspective. Just a couple of points. Christians will suffer, full stop. The Bible clearly teaches us that we will. And if we tell non-believers that coming to Christ means that you will no longer suffer on this earth, we're doing a disservice to them and to the word. We should not be surprised when we suffer because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. Our bodies are waiting for their full redemption. Creation is waiting for its redemption. While we wait, we are told that we will see ongoing and increasing persecution of God's people. Again, we've seen this in our Revelation series. But the side effects of suffering is the production of perseverance and this perseverance produces character. And while that process is hard, God provides for us a helper, a perfect helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us and guides us This is why when writing to the church in Corinth, Paul reminds them that we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Now when we talk about the truths of of suffering, they can be like sandpaper to our modern sentiments. We naturally try to avoid suffering at all costs. 
But God brings suffering into our lives for the sake of our eternal joy. Later in in his letter to the church in Rome, Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, in suffering we can also identify with Christ who suffered the full wrath, who suffered separation from the Father and the Spirit, who took the sentence of sin and rose victorious alive. In him we have life and life eternal. That life that we look forward to and hope for. This brings us to our fourth and final point this morning, the fourth possible benefit of justification that we see in this passage. We've seen that we're made positionally right with God, declared just having peace with God. We've seen that we're given access to God, graciously accepted into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have seen that we can deal with the present through persevering through our sufferings with the Holy Spirit's help and guidance. And fourthly, we can boast confidently in our future. We can be confident in our future because we have hope. We have the hope, we have hope with certainty. It's not an empty hope. It's a hope that will be fulfilled. Friends, Christ lived, died, rose again and ascended to the Father. And in our series in Revelation, we've been learning more about all the things that will come and when all things will come to an end. When all mankind will be judged, when the wrath of God will be poured out and when Jesus will come again and when his people will be drawn to him to be with him forever. In Romans 8, Paul states, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait with hope, knowing what will come. You see, our hope is so much greater than my healthier body. Our hope is an eternal life. Eternity with God, Father, Son and Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can be justified. We can be declared righteous before God the Father, being united with Jesus, the Son, and being helped through life here on earth through the Spirit. Father God, we thank you that you are in relationship with yourself and you desire to be in a closer relationship with us. Be with us this morning as we 
ponder over these reminders of justification and the benefits of justification. Help us not to take them for granted but help us to grow in a greater knowledge and understanding of you as we work through the sufferings of waiting patiently with hope for your return. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.